Let's open our Bibles to John 5. And I hope that those who like and appreciate the bark on trees will allow me to show you the forest before we go home. I want to finish John 5 right now. But you know what that I just said? Let's look at the large picture. And if you listen, there's an outline that's been prepared over many hours. It's always out there in a, in a little while. It'll be there that uh, you can look at more of the bark on some of the trees. But let's look at the forest of the Lord Jesus Christ on trial for his life. Verse 18 tells us, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. The testimony that Jesus gave him of himself in John 5, 17 through 30 is wonderful. Right. It's fabulous truth. And it wasn't presented at a dinner conversation with his apostles, giving them some verses to defeat Arminians. It was on trial for his life, exalting himself, condemning them, comforting us all at the same time, Amen. lifting himself up and exalting himself to his true position, Jesus the Christ, Amen. the Son of God. Amen. After doing that, he needed to bring other witnesses to bear. And he brings the three best possible witnesses that a Jew would want. First, John the Baptist, verses 32 through 35. Why would John the Baptist be the best? because he was prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would not come until there came a messenger before him, making the way of the Lord straight for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he brings John the Baptist. What's the next best? The Greeks seek after wisdom, and the Jews require signs. Old Testament, New Testament, they required signs, and so Jesus appeals to his miracles in verse 36 which is a greater testimony than John speaking of him. And now he's going to bring us the third witness in verse 37. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the glory of thy glorious Son, I pray that you'll bless me and my hearers, that together, the two of us, around your word, blessed by your Spirit, will see and know the Lord Jesus Christ solidly, passionately, purposefully from this passage. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Verse 37. Witness number three. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. This is the third of three witnesses. The prophets and the scriptures. The prophets of the scriptures. The scriptures of the prophets. It's the third greatest and the highest of the three witnesses that there could be. Because it's written. It's written. It's in writing. It's God's word. He gave it by Moses for the first five books of the Bible. Then he gave it by others afterward. There's many reasons for this. I'm going to share a few with you. The rest you can look up yourself if you are concerned, I understand that you might want to make this God saying something at the Jordan River when Jesus was baptized. 
I ask you a few things. Can you prove from the Bible that anyone else heard it but John the Baptist? Did anybody else see the dove descending upon Jesus but John the Baptist? Be very careful in your answers. Why did Jesus say in this verse, ye have never heard his voice nor seen his form? What is the strongest witness that we have? The written word of God. Peter did hear the voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. But it was Peter that said, the written word of God is better than a voice from heaven. Peter heard the voice from God on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was in a glistening white appearance and James and John were there with him. And Moses and Elijah came and spoke with Jesus as well. That's all the witnesses. That's the most dramatic scene that you could ever imagine. And Peter said, the scriptures are better than that scene. That is taught to us in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21, where Peter said, after recounting that event, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And where were the prophets' words recorded? In the Word of God. What is Jesus going to talk about in the next verse? The Word of God. What is He going to talk about in the next verse? Search the Scriptures. We understand this to be the Bible. The Word of God. The Old Testament. Filled with prophecies of Jesus Christ from Genesis 3 to Malachi chapter 4. It is a witness of Christ. Not a witness to Christ. It's not something that God did to Jesus or for Jesus personally, but it's something God did to others about Jesus. So it's called a witness of him. Verse 37, the father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. So how did God tell others that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ? Was there a virgin birth ever defined or described or identified anywhere? Was there a place of his birth? Bethlehem of Judea, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. The whole works are laid out in the Old Testament about the Lord Jesus Christ. We rule out his voice at his baptism because it was for John. Now let me chase a very short rabbit. I hope that there's some here that say, interesting, but pastor, have you ever used 1 John 5, 6, to say that Jesus, hearing from God, this is my beloved son, that's a witness on earth. Yeah. How do we know that it's a witness on earth? By the scriptures. We are reduced back to the scriptures every time. Everything you know about Jesus Christ is from the Bible. Everything they could have known was was from the Bible. Everything that happened in his life, they needed to confirm from Old Testament Scripture. It's the highest authority. We rule out his voice at his transfiguration because only Peter, James, and John heard it. We rule out his voice at all for the next clause totally shuts down that idea in this very verse. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time. Now how could it be a witness brought forth if they had never heard his voice at any time? Okay, we're not talking about a literal voice. 
you haven't heard his voice, you haven't seen his shape, then how do we know God? If you go back and read the Old Testament, I'm trusting that you're a little familiar with it, Moses told Israel very carefully, you will never see a similitude of God. The Bible says no man hath seen God at any time. How does God reveal himself? By his words. When Moses said, show me thy glory, what did he get? Words. When Job needed to see God, and Job said, now I have seen thee with mine eye, what did he see? Words. It's words in writing. Don't we always resort to something in writing like a contract? Because it's far more sure than a verbal witness. We want it in writing, and so it is with the Word of God. We find his word being mentioned in the next two verses. Jesus is progressing from lesser to greater. If he left out his word, where would it be? God expected his people to value revelation above miracles. Deuteronomy 13, if a false teacher comes along and tries to turn you from me to worshiping a different way, and his miracle comes to pass, don't believe him because my word trumps miracles. So this is greater than what is in verse 36, which are his miracles. Jesus told the rich man in hell by way of his story of the rich man asking Lazarus, asking Father Abraham to send Lazarus back to keep his five brothers. What was the Lord's answer? They have Moses and the prophets. You have Moses and the prophets. A man coming back from the dead wouldn't be as good as Moses and the prophets. Why don't they listen to them? God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Do you understand that we have all four here? He's spoken to us by his Son. He's spoken to us by the prophets. He's spoken to us by John the Baptist, and he proved himself by his miracles. And if you were to go read Hebrews chapters 1 and chapters 2, the first four verses of chapters 2, there will be an appeal made to the mighty signs and wonders done by Jesus and his apostles. The revelation of God is in Scripture. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. You don't have a personal relationship with God. So how do we know God's opinion? How do we know God's witness? How do we know what God has said about Jesus Christ? In the Word of God. Right. I mean, 929 chapters in the Old Testament and 39 books and many prophecies stretching all the way, covering the entire course of the Old Testament include wonderful prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ. The revelation of God is by Scripture. That's how He reveals Himself to us. He's revealed by prophets, and they wrote it down so that we can have it. This is the history of God's dealings with the Jews as Paul writes it in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with that first verse. Verse 38, you don't know God, you haven't heard his voice, you've never seen him. How does God reveal himself? By his word. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent him ye believe not. You don't have it in you. It's not the word of baptism. That's not the word they needed to have in them. They needed to have the written word of God in them, embracing it and loving it and looking for its fulfillment, like many did. Anna was. Simeon was. Others were looking for redemption to appear in Jerusalem because the Bible told them that the time was at hand. 
Ye have not his word abiding in you. There is so much more than reading the Bible. Do you know who he's saying this to? Jesus is pronouncing these words to Pharisees and Jews that were standing there with the scriptures in a box on their forehead. You don't have it abiding in you. You know, one brother came up to me and said, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to get up and go over to the chief one of them and pull it out and snap it on his forehead. (laughs) Which brother would come and say that to me? You are right. (laughs) They adored the scriptures. They considered the scriptures the most important asset that they had, but they didn't have it in their hearts. They they weren't embracing it. They were looking for their own idea of a son of David coming that would deliver them from Rome rather than the Lord Jesus Christ coming out of Galilee, out of Nazareth, out of Bethlehem to deliver them from sin, death, hell, and the devil. For whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. You do not have God's word abiding in you. What word? Not the word of the baptism, not the word of the transfiguration, but the word of prophecy of the Old Testament that told repeatedly about Jesus Christ's coming. For whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. I've just given you three witnesses. He's going to exhort them to a little further use of the third one, but they still don't believe on him. John didn't accomplish them believing him. The miracles didn't prove it. Did you you hear the desperation of Jesus almost in some of those passages I read from later in John where Jesus said, if you don't believe me and if you don't believe my words, at least believe the works. Come on. Can you hear him crying out, what is wrong? The coldness of our hearts, the deadness of our hearts, walking in trespasses and sins is so terrible that if prophecies are being fulfilled, John the Baptist arrives, miracles are being performed, everything in the Word of God is confirmed by this man's life, guess what? Unless God does a work of grace and says, live, we won't believe it, we'll try to kill him. It's incredible. They wanted to kill him. They did not believe, even though there was so much evidence against them and for him. Jesus said in verse 39, search the Scriptures. That is the greatest witness. John, miracles, scripture. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. They adored the scriptures, but they needed to dive into them and study them for the person that was coming. The Bereans were noble for searching the scripture, but that's not here. Jesus is challenging these unbelievers to get into their Bibles and that thing that they're wearing on their forehead and strapped to their arm, their phylacteries is what it's called in the Bible. Phylacteries, while we're on the moment of phylacteries, we don't wear wristbands. What would Jesus do? We don't wear WWJD bracelets because Jesus said that things like that done in public are wrong. So we don't do that. They adored the scriptures, and as Jesus was wont to do, he's taking what they considered the greatest and most important asset they had and turning it against them, just like he's going to do at the end of this chapter when he turns their greatest leader against them and says, Moses is going to condemn you. I don't need to. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. They thought they had eternal life by wearing them, they, the scriptures. They thought they had eternal life by learning the doctrine for justification by works instead of the person that was coming that would deliver them, it was a person that was prophesied from the beginning to the end of the Old Testament. Not a justification system by works, but a person. Yes. 
Not a policy, but a person. Not a religion, but a person. It's a person. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Testify of me. Are you with me? You need two or three witnesses in a Jewish court. He brought up three. The three most powerful, weighty witnesses you could possibly have about the identity of the Messiah. His precursor, John the Baptist. His miracles, he had to show miracles because the Jews require a sign. Third, the scriptures, the written record of God, that this is the character, this is the nature, this is the birthplace, this is the tribe that he's going to come from. Every detail prophesied by the prophets in the word of God. Search the scriptures. You guys think you have eternal life in them? I've already told you that eternal life is in me. Do you, do you know that, that he said that? 21 and 22, as the Father hath life in himself, he's given to the Son to have life in himself. That may be 26. 21 says it this way, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. You look at the scriptures for the source of eternal life. I have eternal life. The Father's given it to me. And if you don't come to terms with me, if you don't hear my words and believe on him that sent me, you have no life. You're going to rise in the resurrection of damnation. Let us see Christ when we look at the Bible. Brethren, from the Garden of Eden, Moses wrote about the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15 to Malachi closing out the last chapter of the last prophet of the Old Testament with the Son of Righteousness in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. Look for Christ. You're about to start a new year of reading on next Sunday, January 1st, 2017. Look for the Lord, Jesus Christ. Verse 40, And ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. If you get into the Bible like you should, if you should try to have it in you, embracing it, rather than just wearing it on your forehead, or kissing its pages in the pulpit, and you learn about me, you will not come to me. The problem of depravity is human stubbornness and rebellion. It's a matter of the will, not the intellect. It's a matter of the will and the heart, not the ability. Total depravity. Don't ever be confused about it. It's our rebellion against God and what he tells us. It's not an intellectual incapacity to understand that 2 plus 2 equals 4 in the spiritual realm. It's a rebellion of what the spiritual realm dictates to us. And ye will not come to me. I have just piled up the evidence. I have brought you the three greatest witnesses that could possibly be put together in defense of me. And for what I said about myself is confirmed by John, miracles, and the word of God. And ye will not come to me. That ye might have life. Do you know how you lay hold of life? Do you know how you gain the assurance of eternal life? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in the great day of judgment, the great day of resurrection of verses 28 and 29, you'll be in the resurrection of life. Because believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is evidence that you have passed from death unto life and that you shall not come into condemnation. But you will not come to me. He's saying this to their faces. Let it never be true of us. Let it be true of them, but not of us. And ye will not come to me. The issue is not one of evidence any longer, was it? Remember I told you the last section of this chapter would be why they wouldn't believe. Because it's a heart matter. It's a rebellion. 
they will not come to Christ. The issue is will, which should cause us to fear and tremble. Therefore, we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you. To, to, to what? To will. To will. Who, who made us willing? The Lord will make us willing in the day of His power. Psalm 110 and verse 2. Whom, the Lord made us willing. They weren't willing. And brethren, if it weren't for the grace of God, we would be just like them trying to ruin the Lord Jesus Christ, stone Him and destroy Him. But the Lord said, live and changed our will. It's Him that works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Those are infinitives of the verb, meaning that God put in us the ability to will and the ability to do what God has called us to do, and therefore we should do it, and we should work on our salvation with fear and trembling, for God made the difference. Jesus spoke, live, like verse 25 describes, we lived. Jesus didn't say that to them. They didn't live, and their will was in rebellion against one who brought them the greatest possible combination of evidence that could ever been brought in a Jewish court. And ye will not come to me. Though they adored the scriptures, they would not believe the revelation those scriptures gave of Jesus Christ. The issue is will. And my brethren, coming to Christ is far more than the foolish act of going forward to the altar. Coming to Christ is not walking 20 feet across some Mediterranean sand to meet Jesus. Coming to Christ, the Bible tells us, is something you can't do except the Father draw you. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. That's next chapter. Him that cometh to me better take up his cross and follow me, or he is no disciple of mine. For you and me right now, let's, get, let's understand when it says come to Christ. It means to come in obedience. It means to come in humility. It means to come in repentance. Casting off all the confidence we had in anything righteous that we did. Repenting of anything foolish that we've done. To lay hold of Christ obediently and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And to take up our cross and nail our lust to it every day. That's coming to Christ. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Now in case, in case they thought that he needed them, in case they thought he wanted them, in case they thought he loved them, look what he says immediately. I receive not honor from men. I don't need you. You aren't going to take a thing away from me. I receive, why is that right there? I receive not honor from men, because he just told them, and ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. I don't need you, you need me. What a difference in our Savior. And he says it right there. I receive not honor from men, I'm nothing like you guys. And he's going to explain it further, but just in case they might misunderstand by verse 40, and ye will not come to me. He wasn't saying it like that, brethren. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men. This is one of several places in this chapter that needs to be rightly interpreted. Jesus did receive honor from men. He received honor from John the Baptist. He received honor from his own apostles. However, he didn't seek it, nor was his life or ministry dependent on it. Remember, our glorious Lord would not allow the healed to even publish the fact that he had healed them. Because our Savior did not lift up His voice in the streets. He let His miracles do it for Him. He didn't have a PR department. 
When fools of a lesser pedigree try to make him king, he disappears. Next chapter, we're going to have a whole crowd of Jews wanting to make Jesus king, and he will disappear. He doesn't receive honor from men. He's looking for honor from heaven, as he's going to explain. He was not ambitious in the way that they, the Jewish leaders and all other religious leaders are. They want the praise of men rather than the praise of God. He corrected any false notion in these reprobates that he needed their honor. He had declared the truth and he told them the facts. They would never repent, never believe, never come to him in discipleship because they did not have the love of God in them as he's about to explain. And they didn't understand the scriptures and the scriptures weren't in their hearts. Their scriptures were on their foreheads, on their arms, in their synagogues and in their temple, but not in their hearts and minds. Verse 42, but I know you. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I've already told you in verse 40 that you will not come to me even if you were to search the scriptures like I told you in verse 39. But I know you. Oh, brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ does know us. Do you know what the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12? For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharp with any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He knows us. Neither is any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Amen. He knows us. I know you. Jesus had just told these very religious men that they would not obey Scripture. In spite of all the evidence that he had just given them, John the Baptist, miracles, Scripture, I know you. It doesn't matter what I would bring. You will not come to me because I've not spoken life to you. You're my enemies in heart and mind. You're stubbornly against me. Jesus, the living word of God, saw right through the facade of great religiosity. Remember, he's the one that knew what was in man and didn't need that any man should testify of what was in man. That's from chapter 2 that we've already learned. Jesus Christ knows you and me, and we should examine ourselves in that light that ye have not the love of God in you. I know that you are not born again. I know that you are unregenerate. I know you. You do not have the change of nature that is necessary in order for you to understand the scriptures, appreciate the miracles. Did they see the miracles? Did they know the great works were done by Jesus? Did I share with you John eleven forty seven 47, that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they knew they had a problem on their hands because it was a big miracle and it was going to be on the front page of every paper? But they never humbled themselves. They could meet him in the Garden of Gethsemane and he, and he could say to them, Whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth, I am he. And they all fall backward. Well, shouldn't they have done this, then this, right. and, and fell down before the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. But until we're changed, we wouldn't either. Right. Brethren, regeneration is, has been explained how it happens. Regeneration is explained as a necessity to have eternal life being passed from death into life. And now we're told about a group of people that weren't born again. Ye have not the love of God in you. If you love God in the way that the Bible describes and defines the love of God, it's because God put it in you. But I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. Verse 43, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. John the Baptist told me that I was, told that I was a son of God. My miracles prove that God is with me, and you know it. John 3, 2, no man can do these miracles except God be with him from the mouth of Nicodemus, speaking on behalf of some of the Pharisees. 
I am come in my Father's name. I fulfill everything God the Father spoke about his promised Son from the Old Testament, and ye receive me not. I come in my Father's name. Who's, the, who's his Father? Jehovah, Amen. Almighty God, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of David, and ye receive me not. This is a professional problem. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. If someone else were to move from some other place in the Roman Empire and come to Jerusalem in their own name, hey, um, who are you? You know, the, the, they, they might ask him. We're at verse, verse 43 right now. Sir, who are you? Well, I'm John of Jerusalem, a lifetime student of Holy Scripture. They'd receive him. They'd pat him on the back and say, welcome, brother. Sir, who are you? I am Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. Is that the way Jews talked? Oh, yes. Who showed us that that's the way Jews talked? Paul. I am Saul of Tarsus, no mean city, and a citizen of that no mean empire, a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. You know, if a man came like that, I'm Saul of Tarsus. Hey, brother, welcome. You'll receive him, but I come in the name of my father, Son of God. Now, are you Son of God? I come in the name of my Father. You ready to crawl through the internet and strangle somebody? There's no internet to crawl through. This is just the Word of God. This is how wicked men's hearts are. And our hearts would be the same if it weren't for the grace of God that put life and love in them. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. This is incredible. The examples I just gave you. Who are you? Your name, birthplace, education, intelligence, all of, it, all of it is vain. The things about Jesus Christ are so superior. Childish sessions of bloated egotists mutually admiring each other is sickening. And if you've ever met theologians or if you've ever met PhDs, all they do is pat each other on the back so that they can feel comfortable about the saliva dribbling down their chins and their idiot stupidity. They want to pat each other for being in the same profession with them. They all serve each other and comfort each other. That's why they all hate the King James Bible. When you find a man with a PhD that loves the King James Bible, you have found a special man. He's a special man. Right. I'm referring to his stones. That's the Bible word. Because he's got the courage to stand against his profession. His courage to stand against his peers. Because, see, these men will accept their peers they will accept a man of a professional standing, but the lowly carpenter's son from the Sea of Galilee who came in the name of his father, they wouldn't accept. Son of God. Whenever you pick up a book, a Christian book, turn it over and read what is on the back cover. If it's not on the back cover, open up the front cover, the flyleaf of both covers, and see if the man starts to foam away about himself. The guy that wears the thick lenses at Bob Jones University, some of you know who, exactly who I'm talking about in one second. You got to read what he writes in the back of his books because he's coming in his own name. Jesus came in the name of his Father, and his Father was God. Verse 44, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? All this back-slapping, patting, Praising, commending, listing, linking, 
endorsing, footnoting, cop- copywriting that, they, that goes on among scholars is all a bunch of, jo- it's a joke. They're all a bunch of idiots in the same playpen sharing spit with each other. That's all they're doing. Right. It's nauseating. Give me someone that'll just preach the word. Who cares who he is? I don't care what he's done. I don't care anything about him but his honesty and integrity and the use of the scriptures. Judas converted as many as Peter. Do you understand that? We don't need their pedigree. We don't need their degrees. All that means is they're mentally impaired and spiritually impaired from understanding scripture. The only way that you can find that about some of the great older commentators is to read someone else who, after they were dead, wrote a biography about them. I like that approach for them. Verse 44, how can ye believe? How can ye believe on me, even though I've just given you all the evidence that a Jewish court could possibly have, which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Now, he's getting tougher and tougher, as you can tell by his language And so he says in verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. See, he's not going to ask them whether they believe he's from the Father or not. He is from the Father. He has said that in verse 17, my Father worketh hitherto and I work. And now he says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. It's unnecessary. I don't have to accuse you. You don't have to please me. That doesn't matter because Moses has already condemned you. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you. The Word of God, that third and final greatest witness, already condemns you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. John chapter 9. We're four chapters away. The man born blind is going to meet some Jewish leaders. And he's going to testify, has any man ever done anything like this that made a blind man see? And they're going to say, you may be his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. Okay, In whom ye trust. He's heading them off by four chapters. He's silencing them. You would think that they'd be smart enough not to bring it up in John 9, but they're not smart enough. They're trusting in Moses. I love Hebrews chapter 3 that compares Moses to Jesus. Remember I've told you that Hebrews is an epistle that compares Everything in the New Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, to everything in the Old Testament, and Jesus is superior to Moses. Well, Jesus is saying, I don't need to. uh, You know, Jesus has already turned the Scriptures against them. I hope you've seen that. Search the Scriptures. You guys think eternal life is in the Scriptures, and everything you read in the Bible is going to tell about me. He's already turned the Bible against them because Jesus, the masterful, with the masterful art of spiritual rhetoric, was able to take their things that they trusted in the most and turn them to be their enemies. And he did that with the scriptures, and now he's doing it with Moses, and we we just can finish right here just by looking at what it says. Verse 45, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. I know you can hear me getting rather riled and condemning you that you don't have the love of God in you, and uh, you will receive each other based on your own pedigrees and accomplishments, but you won't receive one that comes in the name of God I don't need to accuse you. I won't accuse you. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Jews, go back and read the first five books of the Bible. 
Read the first five books, and brethren, you're going to be reading them in just one week. Look for the person. Don't look for the laws. Don't look for the rules. Don't look for the holidays. Don't look for the festivals. Look for the person. There's only one, and it's not Moses. Moses is going to tell them, God's going to raise up a man for you like unto me. And if you don't hear him, he's going to destroy everyone from among the people. It's Deuteronomy 18, about 13 through 18 or 19. It's a wonderful passage. There's four great prophecies of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Genesis 3, the seed of the woman. Genesis 15 through 22, the seed of Abraham. Genesis 49, Shiloh coming out of the tribe of Judah. And then Deuteronomy 18. Moses wrote those things, especially Deuteronomy 18, a prophet like unto Moses that would represent God and bring God's will to his people because he would be the son of God. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? If Moses could write so plainly about the one that was coming and you won't believe him in writing, it's hopeless. I'm just Jesus of Nazareth to you. If you won't believe what's in the scriptures, the third and highest witness, Moses is going to condemn you when you stand before God. You trust in Moses. You say you're Moses' disciple. Moses preached about me. And if you would search the scriptures, you would find out that they testify of me as well. This is John chapter 5. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe on him? Are you going to obey him the rest of this day? Are you going to live for him with a bounce in your step? Are you going to live for him with punching the air? Are you going to live for him with crucifying your lusts? That's how we really show that we love him, by crucifying our lust. Do you know what he called it? If any man come unto me and take up not his cross daily and follow me, he is not worthy of me. Right. I bore a cross for him on Calvary. He can bear a cross for me in the Piedmont of South Carolina. Will you bear his cross today? He's worthy of it. He's a glorious savior. He's a glorious rhetorician. He's a glorious lawyer. He's, he's sitting at the right hand of God. You need a lawyer, brother, because we're going to stand before the judge, but he'll be there for us. He won't lose a single one. Look at how well he's able to argue and reason. And in this time, he'll be arguing and reasoning that he died for us. Our names are in the book of life and for God his Father to accept us into heaven forever. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. amen.